0: First John chapter three, verse four. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious, Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we ask as we work through this text that you would help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's difficulty in this passage. I've read it. This is one of those that I knew was coming Sunday afternoon. As we're driving up to Anna's grandpa's house, I'm like, "Oh, it's a tough one." This there are weeks when I, as we go through books of the Bible, when I kind of like, I'm like, "Oh man, Sunday's coming, and there's not enough time to prepare for this. How am I going to handle this?" I feel like all week I've been with my yellow pad, scratching out how how am I going to present this text, balling up a piece of paper, throwing it away, going, "No, oh, it'll come, it'll come, it'll come," and I almost feel like this morning I'm still like throwing up pieces of paper and the difficulty with this passage is is it would be so easy for us to walk away confused or to to walk away from this out of context that the number one rule of bible study is context 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 and so as we we ease into this passage uh, i've been reminded by by many who this in my study this week that that john is very much some have called him a mystic or a philosopher, where he's spent many years contemplating the things of God, and 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 he lays them out for us in a way that forces us to ponder, that that forces us to mull it over like a tea bag, where it seeps in the hot water and slowly it comes out. And so, this has been one of these passages where where my my concern is. I could handle this text in a way that many who are in Christ would walk away confused, thinking that they're not in Christ. And on the flip side, I don't want to assure those who aren't in Christ that they're in Christ when they're really not. And I have an adversary, the devil, who is trying to confuse us and wants to do the very thing that I'm trying not to do. So hopefully we're not confused already. (laughs) Taking this in context, I want to back up. And and sort of get some big picture ideas. And if you would turn with me back to Romans chapter five, the Paul our almost our attorney who who lays things out theologically, sort of very clear and concisely. Um, as we look at today's story, I, I want us to have an image in our mind. I think it was the navigators. I'm not certain who who came up with the illustration of the bridge. I don't know if you've heard the, about this illustration that there's this big plot of land, and that's us as people. And there's this great divide, which is sin. And there's this other mass of land, which is God or his righteousness. And the only way to cross over is through Christ. I, I found one, one, I, one slide that sort of shows it. I sort of want this to be seared in our mind. And to to think through this picture. So here is man, the great divide, man's problem, our separation, this this sin that we're born into. We'll see that religion falls short of getting across. Philosophy falls short. Good works falls short. There there are many things that we try to do in our humanity to cross over that don't cut it. The only thing that bridges the gap is the cross. And so we can you can go back to the previous slide. And in Romans chapter 5, I I would love to just spend the whole time here and then kind of gloss over, but I can't do that. Uh, But in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of sets the stage for this chapter that through Christ we have peace. Before we had Christ, we were at war with God because of our sin. We were against him. Easing down, verse 9, he says again, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And so this idea of justification, which I'll look at at the very end of Romans 5, that that God's wrath was due us because of our sin, he is holy. We fail to comprehend how holy God is. We like to compare holiness based on comparing other human beings. And it's very easy to then categorize ourselves as better than the next guy. There's always somebody that's a worse sinner. And so naturally, God's just drafting us into heaven. So we just have to be better than the rest of humanity. But it doesn't work like that. Coming down to verse 12, which is where I really want to just... Just um, the begin, the big picture. Everything goes back to Genesis. Genesis is one of the most important books in the Bible because it lays the framework of humanity. All of our understanding of sociology and how we as humans live and work and think. And it all kind of goes there that we have our understanding. In verse 12, we're told, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin the bible makes it very clear that in genesis chapter 3 after adam and eve sinned that through their dna sin entered the world that humanity changed death entered into the human picture death was not a part of the human picture prior to the fall of man and so this sin this rebelling from god and what god desires from us brought about death we we see verse 13 for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed where there is no law meaning that when adam and eve sinned there was sin death began there was no law moses hadn't come on scene and issued out the the commandments of god and we see from scripture that all the law does is it basically allows our sin to be seen. It's sort of the the filter by which sin is exposed. We see God's standard. uh, You can try to keep the law, but all the law is going to do is to show you your failure. Verse 14, Nevertheless, even though when Adam and Eve sinned, there was no law, death reigned from Adam to Moses who gave the law. Even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type who is to come, and so when we have that image, we have this sphere of of death of, of humanity. We can go to the next slide. I went back here so in man, I would almost put Adam over here and over the other box instead of God Christ, and so as sin entered all of mankind from Adam to us. When you're born, you're born into this body of sin, that separation from God by DNA. This is the very bad news. We are separated from God. We have no fellowship with God. Then we get to verse 15, the good news. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abound to many the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the one for on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification there's that word again for if by the one transgression of of the one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted into resulted justification of life of all justification of life to all men. And so he continues, he's going to unpack into the spirit. And, and what I want to get is, is, so here we are in Adam. The, the picture that would show the cross going across, bridging this graft, graft over uh, to being in Christ or in God, God's holiness. The thing that allows us through is the cross. By placing our faith in, in Jesus for what he did on the work, God then justifies us justification is where god speaks to the sinner and says you are now justified positionally in christ when i look at you you've been placed into the body of christ i see christ's righteousness in you now the problem which we're going to see is that all of this picture that we kind of see for our lifetime we are still in this uh, earth we still have the lingering problems of our old sin nature in this body in romans chapter 7 which we'll look at the the great apostle paul uh, very transparently communicates with us this great tug of war and struggle that he still has Um, so from this sort of this big picture of these two spheres there's you're either in christ or you're in adam in death The only way to cross from the one to the other is through faith in Christ. His work on the cross. Uh, Going back to the first John. This is difficult stuff and I feel inadequate (laughs) at times. Communicating these great theological truths. And so when we come to verse 4 and we read. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. It's very easy for us to, to take this passage sort of in isolation. But, but to look at it in context, the bigger picture, John is writing to believers. He, he, he wants to encourage them, to assure them of their faith. He's not seeking to shake our assurance in our salvation through Christ. We back up to chapter 2, verse 28. And his heart, he says, now little children abide in him. This, this, this long, um, what was it, uh, Peterson's book, a long obedience in the same direction, sort of describing obedience, that we walk with Christ, that we're not perfect. We want to abide with him so that when he appears, we won't shrink away in shame, but we can l- just literally leap into his arms because we're walking with him. He goes all the way through down to verse 3 where we ended. And verse 3, I think, is the key. He says, and everyone who has this hope, what is the hope? They've placed their faith in Christ, the one who came, the one who's going to come again. We long for his coming. Our hope is fixed on him. That's Christ. And as we look upon him and his righteousness, we purify ourselves because he's holy and we want to be like him. And so we look to that day. We, we grow, we walk in Christ just as he is pure. And then he contrasts it. It's almost, it's not like he's calling them the lawless ones. But he's painting this truth. And in today's passage, we see that John is combating this issue of Gnosticism. Where these people were coming into the church... Or they were born out of the church and they were saying things like your flesh and spirit are not connected. You can live your life however you want. Don't worry about sin in this body because this body can't affect the spirit. So go crazy in this body. And John's trying to tell them sin is serious. God doesn't take it lightly. And faith in Christ should result in 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 change now go back to the previous slide so we can get the picture here and he goes on so verse four so he just contrasted verse three and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself there's the one group those who are in christ their hope is in christ they're longing for this day they're purifying themselves then there's this other group and every and everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So there's this idea that if you're practicing sin, you're practicing lawlessness. Sin and lawlessness, they're one and the same. We've often heard sin described as missing the mark. Well, what's the mark? This is God's standard, his law. And if you're sinning, you're in lawlessness. You're without him. And in this week of all weeks, it has been crazy to me. Just looking at our culture, the... Two SWAT call-outs, which I get the call. I'm not complaining. I actually enjoy it very much. But on Wednesday, I get the call. Hey, something's going on. The SWAT team's been deployed. Gunner, can you come for the team? And so I respond to the team because you never, like, uh, both times, everybody was safe and nobody got hurt. But I respond because this is the highest likelihood where somebody could be injured. And so on Wednesday, I go out and I and I just, you know, hang out. Drink some coffee, buy them coffee, and everything resolved itself with nobody getting hurt. Then I basically rushed from the SWAT call out to come to church to Bible study. And as I pull into the church parking, I'm like, oh, this is, there's, a, there's a unusual car out front. It's like a brand-new Honda Accord. It's, it's parked in the handicap spot. something just doesn't feel right about this. But who knows? Maybe it's just somebody's car from the church. But then what I always do is I call the sheriff non-emergency line. I say, hey, can you just run the plates for me just to make sure that it's okay? Half the time they say, nope, it's it's, it's fine. It's not stolen or anything. As soon as I run the plates, they're like, it's stolen. We'll be there in like a few minutes. And and I was like, oh, man, what's going on with our world? And then and then I go home the after Thursday. Thursday around 1030, I get a text from somebody in the SWAT team saying, hey, Looks like we have work tonight. Be here at 1 AM. Oh man. I mean there's like the oh I don't want to stay up all night, but there's also that, all right, you know. And so then there's a swap call. It was in the news. A guy, the two guys had attempted murder and they needed to get this house for uh, And and so we go in there. And so this week just looking at our culture of of not culture but looking at humanity and seeing sin. And as I spend time with cops the one thing I know that they all seem to say they're like man we got job security because as long as there are people I'm going to be here enforcing the laws because there's there's just craziness but I don't want us to start in our religious thinking well sin looks like that you can have all kinds of sin in your heart and never have the SWAT team surfacing one of the people that i with the police department they is the pert officers i don't know what it stands for but they're like the psychologists and there's this one lady on her name Well, don't worry about her name but i'm like i'm like so what's your degree in like how did you like how did you end up here she's like oh i was in uh what is what is it marriage and family counseling and I was so fed up with all of the lies and all of the deception and nobody wanting to work. I figured I'd just come here and work with people where we can kind of get over that stuff. But, but in our hearts, we can have total rebellion from God. And it can be subtle, but it's, it's vile in, in the smell of God's sight or in, or in the smell of his sight. Like when our, when our heart come, comes before him, I want to stay on track here. Galatians 5.18, leading into the fruit of the Spirit, before he speaks of the deeds of the flesh, he says, if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Kind of painting this same picture. It's not saying that we're above the law, but if you're leading your life and you're subdued by Christ, or that you're walking in joy with him. There's no human law that's going to restrict you from love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I've not heard of one country that said, if you love one another, there's a $50 ticket for that. And if you're kind and patient, that's five years in the penitentiary. These are not, the fruit of the spirit doesn't manifest itself in laws. Now, the flesh, there's all kind of human laws trying to solve this problem of sin. And so when we see this verse four, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. This is a truism. It's not necessarily calling out anybody, but it just is what it is. Sin is bad. God doesn't like it. You know that he that's Christ appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. John the Baptist in John 129, when he saw Jesus appearing, what did he say? This is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. We lose this, the depth of this meaning. This, this was a totally Jewish context. Those that were under the law, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament, realizing that as they were living their lives, they were falling short. And so they would make sacrifices and as we see the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, all of, this, all of this system was, was to show the sin within the heart and how vile our sin is before God that atonement needed to be made for sin. Christ comes on scene and John says, this is the perfect lamb with no stain, no blemish, free of sin to make the perfect sacrifice for us to get rid of all sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we read that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That Jesus imputes his righteousness to us through faith. But in all of this, we see God takes sin very seriously. And so should we said that he appeared his coming his first coming he came to take away sin no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has seen him or knows him this is the verse that's been killing me all week like this one is concerning it's it's not that i don't understand what it says it's that i don't like what it says because i know who i am no one who abides in him sins uh-oh can anyone in here anyone christian honestly say that they don't sin if you did there might be some pride issues there and so this sort of is this this is like wait a minute no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has seen him or knows him that that sin is incompatible <sighs> And as I've been like wrestling through this, there's there's tension here. There are some Greek grammarians that will say, well, this present active indicative of this lifestyle of sin, this connotates that this is like a lifestyle of sin. This is one, not just a sin in your life, but this is like an ongoing sin that, that you are so in sin that you're not at all walking with the Lord, you don't care about the things of the Lord, you're totally in rebellion. This isn't the Christian who has professed Christ, who God is working, that 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 we have our shortcomings and we we lean upon him. I, I don't know. The the thing that's been gripping me all week is this this reality that if you're abiding in him, if you're walking with him, you cannot have sin because any sin that we have Breaks that fellowship. This this idea. I don't know if you guys have been there, but I've been there more than once, almost on a weekly basis. When you're in an argument or you you lose like your temper, that moment when you recognize that in your heart you're in total rebellion in what God wants from you or expects from you that you, the fruit of the spirit does not manifest itself, and you're just hog wild in the flesh and you realize that you're wrong and it's such a difficult spot in that moment to then humble yourself and to get your heart right with god and god takes it seriously. it was jesus who said if you're at the altar and you're about to worship god and then it pops into your mind that you're you're having tension with your brother just lay your offering down. Stop what you're doing with God. You go back to that person. You make amends with that person. You confess your sin. You forgive them. You do whatever you have to do. And then you come back and worship God. In 1 Peter verse th- 7 to husbands, he's talking about treat your wives in this sort of way so that your prayers might not be hindered. And that there's this idea that if your intention as we sin, then there, our fellowship, our communication with God is is hindered and i love this this as he says this in thinking back to romans 7 if you can go back there paul the apostle paul who his writings almost probably 80 percent of the new testament dealing with the church this is the guy who wrote them this is the guy that would tell you before he met Christ, according to Philippians 3, that he was without sin, that he, as far as the law was concerned, he was blameless. Then he met Christ and recognized how holy God was and how off he is. He just talked to us about justification in chapter 5. Then he talks in verse, um, from let's see, verse 5. Wait, chapter 5. Okay. There's chapter six, then we get to chapter seven. Where do I want to land to get back in my notes, verse fourteen? So as he he's already said that they're justified, and in chapter seven, he gets real personal with this struggle with his new nature in Christ and his old sin nature that lingers in the conflict that's within him. In verse fourteen, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin for what i am doing i do not understand for i am not practicing what i would like to do but i am doing the very thing i hate but if i do the very thing i do not want to do i agree with the law confessing that the law is good so now no longer am i the one doing it but sin which dwells in me for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging the war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And so here we see this this Paul, the apostle, is pinning the scriptures. God is using him to pin the scriptures, and he's describing this inner war within him. That he recognizes at his core how sinful he is. This is the same guy that wrote. We're new creatures in Christ. And there's there's tension here. And almost I would suggest that as we become Christians. As we believed in Christ. We're transferred to the new, this new nature. And we're in Christ. We're safe and secure. Our old nature becomes all the more wretched to us. We're all the more convicted. We agree with God. Yet we see what's happening within us. And. Verse 25, as Paul goes through this, the key thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ for the law of the spirit of Christ. Jesus has set you free. From the law of sin and death. And he goes on in chapter 8. To describe the spirit's work in our life. Which John's going to relate to. This, this seed that's from the Lord. That's doing this work. And I'm sure we're all utterly confused. At this point. <laughs> Laughter's bad. Nobody's saying no no Gunnar. Or <laughs> clear as mud. But there's this tension. So as we come back to first john and we look at this no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has seen him or knows him the, the, there is a difference between the person who's never humbled himself before the law for the lord who's never uh, come to faith in christ who is in total rebellion openly against god than the person the Christian who's humbled himself, recognized, oh, what a wretched man am I! I need Christ as my Savior. We're, we receive Christ, we're told that we are sealed in the Spirit. But in this body, we we have this dual nature, this this struggle. And I think the key to understanding verse six in First John is going back up to verse three, because there's the person who's in this sin, this lawlessness. And they have no desire to to walk with God. They don't think that what they're doing is wrong. But there's a difference that everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. And just as he is pure, it's this action of purification that as we keep our eyes on Christ, as we look at Paul's life even, and we see this man who went from saying, I'm blameless before God, as far as the loss is concerned, I'm blameless. Then as you follow his writings, he goes from I'm the least of all of the apostles to I'm the least of all saints to right before he dies. He says, I am the worst sinner of all. And it's not that he's like in this downward spiral. I believe that he has a greater understanding of God's holiness by the end of his life. And as we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, as we purify ourselves watching after him. It's like the one guy who said, You know, before I was a Christian, I knew I had big sins, but I didn't care about them. Then I became a Christian, and God started dealing with the big sins, but then the little sins became big sins. Like I see the condition of my heart. And so we keep our eyes on him. Verse 7, he says, Little children. And this is the issue, this is the matter at hand that John's trying to address. Make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And so here he comes. He reminds his dear children, these believers. And the issue is that people are trying to deceive them. How you live your life doesn't matter. And the great tension here for me is, is, on one hand, there's I don't want to convey this because the Bible makes it clear that you're not saved by your works at all. But the Bible does say that our works sort of confirm our salvation and that we see we see lasting fruit. As we look through the letter of John, we see these three tests, this doctrinal truth have you what have you done with jesus have you believed upon him for salvation then you're assured of your salvation if your doctrine is correct then we see a changed life like how you live it out these are things that can affirm our salvation and i got my three tests backwards in my brain i had opened too many files in my brain but there's this whole doctrine there's the doctrine there's your life. And according to God's commandments, are you honoring God? Are you seeking to live your life to please him? How does your life with others manifest itself, which we'll get at? It says, how do you, do you love one another? That this, this, is, this is Christianity, that John at 95 years old, when he could barely speak, tradition holds that they would, they would walk him up to the front of the church. They would sit him down. And his message was simply, you are children of God, love one another. That your love for one another was sort of a, a thermostat or a, a thermometer that measures your love for God. that it works itself out. Don't let anybody deceive you. Sin is bad. De- the devil's been working his whole life, all of creation, trying to, to stumble people into sin. And And we have this idea, especially as Halloween is approaching. Our culture, how do we envision Satan? The devil, this... Guy in a little red suit with a tail and horns on his head. The Bible describes Satan as one, the, the most beautiful angel that God created. I think that there's appeal. These are, these are attractive things that he works in us. That It's subtly trying to, to lead us astray. Verse 9, no one who is born of God, and this is the key, is we're born of God as we've come to Christ We've received the spirit. We're born again. Second Peter 1.4 is a beautiful verse. If we'll turn, it's just one book before us. Second Peter 1.4 says this. He says, for by these things, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. This, this that we become partakers, this beautiful gift that God's given us. This is no one who is born of God. You've received this, practices sin, because his seed abides in him, that you've been baptized with the spirit, that you've been sealed in the spirit, and within your soul, you have the spirit of God dwelling. And you cannot sin because he's born of God. One of the things a few months ago that I was able to do before they opened Palomar with the SWAT team, is they let us have this opening this before it opened up this private tour of the hospital and they're they're kind of walking through the hospital pre-planning for any sort of emergency or anything bad that happened in the hospital and they had a couple hospital staff sort of take us room by room how we could get in things to be cautious about and one of the rooms that i felt, found fascinating was the mri room so you walk into this room this big old machine and they start talking they say listen if you come into this room and the guy's able to turn on the machine, there's high, high magnets that, 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 that the magnets work somehow to work an MRI. And if you're close to it, be careful with your gun because it can literally, if you're within a meter of it, it'll rip it out of your hand. And I'm sitting there going, wait, this sounds pretty cool. Where's the switch? How do we, what, I love Magnets. Like I love magnets when I was, well, I say when I was a kid, it started, but even as an adult, if you give me like high powered magnets, I want nothing more than to try to put the two ends that won't go together. I'll sit there and I'll, and then the other side is if you flip them around, what I want is how close can I, I love it. It's fun both ways. And, and this is the image that comes to mind. But if you're a child of God, you have his spirit within you. You have this big magnet that doesn't want sin and you can force sin in your life. And as a Christian, when you sin, I found that when I'm sinning as a Christian. I'm so much more miserable than before I was a Christian sinning. Like, yes, before I got convicted and I, I but as a Christian. There's no worse feeling than having that. Then just to know that, that what I'm doing is just vile to God. But yet I like, Paul, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep getting angry? God has so much work to do in my life. And on the flip side, when you have the Spirit of God, there are things today that I participate in that give me so much joy. That before I was a Christian, I'd say stuff like, I don't want to become a Christian because I like having fun. Then I become a Christian and I start participating in like serving and helping people, things that I, I they don't sound like fun. But then as a believer that I have the Spirit of God, that these things are so rewarding. To hear Jackie talk about going up there and work like seriously, like if you're not to go work at a warehouse all day, to thumb through boxes. And she says there's so much joy there. Like that you'll walk away blessed. It's because you have the Spirit of God within you. It's a it's an amazing thing. And John makes it clear verse ten by this the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. He's making listen. If you're a child of God, you're going to walk with him. And I'm not saying that we're perfect, but but the motivation of your heart is that you've confessed what God said is true, is right, is acceptable, is the best thing for me. And I want to honor him. I want to live my life out in this way. And when we sin, we're convicted and we go back to 1 John 1, 8, what John said, very opening. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that when we do miss the mark of God's standard, which we all are striving for because we have our hope fixed on him, that we confess he cleanses us. He makes us new. We, we suddenly have this love. You guys are not people I would have hung out with before I was a Christian. And you guys wouldn't have hung out with me. I say this to my wife all the time. It's a big joke between us. Like when I came to Christ where she was, it's like, oh, yeah, you were like a little missionary kid. Would you have done anything? And she's like, no way. My mom would cry if she knew that you were the guy that I was, you know god in his ways i heard charles swindoll mention the cross a beautiful illustration he said the cross as we look at the cross the vertical beam symbolizes like our relationship with god that as we look at the vertical beam we're reminded that it's through christ that we have peace with god and the horizontal beam is the resulting factor that once we have peace with god then we can have peace with humanity and we can love one another that i would rather be with you guys in like you guys are close closer to me than many of my family members and this is all through christ changing my life and when i look at this passage what i'm reminded of what i some simple truths is that we are all sinners every single person in the world is a sinner some of us are saved sinners and some of us are lost sinners but But for those of us, let me not get ahead of myself because this is second part. We're all sinners, some saved, some lost. We know that Satan is real and Satan wants nothing more than to confuse sinners. To the saved sinner, what he wants you to do is to walk away feeling like you're not saved. to, To shake you of your security in Christ. The doctrine of eternal security is so important for us to get a grasp on. There are many churches and denominations out there that say you can't have assurance of your salvation. This whole letter of John, 1 John 5.13, we know that his purpose is to assure us that we may have salvation. Our salvation is bound in the work of Christ alone. If you've believed upon Christ, you've received the spirit, You're secure. And those who have trusted in Christ who then sin or struggle with their imperfection, man, the guilt of that can be overwhelming. I, 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 some of the unpardonable sin of, oh, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit 15 years ago. Every time I talk to a person, I'm like, if you're like losing sleep at night because before you were a Christian, you told God something about him. Like the way you're feeling right now is assurance that you have the spirit of God within you. And if you're not a saved, if you're a lost sinner, Satan wants nothing more than to assure you that you're good enough. Oh, you've done more good than bad. Certainly when God looks over the landscape of humanity, you're in the top 50%. And the top half are all going to heaven, so you're good. There's assurance there. And when I look at this whole thing, I've said this over again, where I want each of us to end up is verse three. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, if you haven't come to trust in Christ, he's our only hope. Your good works, religion, philosophy, these things are not going to give you peace For those of us who have trusted in Christ, we need to keep our eyes on him. He could come back at any moment. We're longing for his return, where he is going to take this body. As he says in verse two, we don't know what it will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. So when he comes back, we're going to get our new bodies. I can't even imagine being in a body that there is no sin, no stain, no ring. Re- that, that, that the idea of repentance is gone from you because you have nothing to repent. Because we're in his presence. And so we long for that day. We purify ourselves getting ready. When we sin, we confess. I hope this made a little bit of sense. Because I, I know it's, it's something we need to struggle through, wrestle with, pray about. And, Father, we come to you, and I, I look at this passage, and I, I feel, Lord, uh, less than able to communicate the truths that are here. And, Father, one thing we know is that in Christ, we have assurance. We thank you that because of Christ's work on the cross and our faith in him, Lord, that we are transformed that we're placed into the body of christ taken out of this body of adam lord that you've justified us that you've spoken justification into our lives through him father we pray that as we live our lives as we live in this world that's so sin stained father that you would help us to keep our eyes on you father help us to stay close to you through the the reading of your word through praying, through fellowshipping with one another. May we encourage one another to keep our eyes on you. And Father, as we look out amongst this world, Father, give us humble hearts, Lord. Lord, let us not elevate ourselves among others. We're all sinners. For those of us for those who are lost, Lord, we pray that you would give us your eyes, give us your heart, that we would be willing to go out to share the good news with them, to to bridge relationships, Lord, that, that the life of Christ could be manifested in our lives to them. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.